Welcome to the Beastified Podcast. We're your hosts. I'm Chris Hopper. And I'm Dan Harrison. This is a show dedicated to inspiring you to treat your body and mind the way it should be treated. Each week we delve deep with some of the brightest and most forward-thinking, out-of-the-box minds in health, consciousness, mindset, and spirituality. Our intention is to fuse and unlock the conscious warrior within and shift the balance in the current paradigm. Deep and often intense, these conversations are released every Wednesday and are designed to inspire, educate, motivate and encourage you to discover, uncover, unlock and unleash your potential. In this episode of the Beastified podcast, we talk with Floatmaster Kevin Johnson. Kevin probably doesn't like being called a floatmaster, but he's certainly up there in our eyes. Kevin has carried out thousands of hours of float. He's also done a nine-hour float. He's the owner and the creator of the Zero Gravity Institute in Austin. We discuss everything from the earlier origins to the practical side, and ultimately, the spiritual potential of this unique method. So, Kevin, just welcome to the Beast of Five podcast. I'm grateful for you to join us today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate the chance to talk with you guys today. No problem. Oh, certainly, Kevin. Kevin, I think people are now coming to the reality that there is loads of different tools out there now available to find your path and unlock your consciousness and reboot. But maybe a good way to start this will be to delve into the earlier origins of the sensory deprivation tank and how it all came about. Yeah, sure. I can give you a brief history of that. The, um, the float tank was invented in, actually in 1954, so it's been around for, for quite a while. It was uh, invented by a neuroscientist named John Lilly, and he was basically studying the uh, the premise that many scientists of his time were subscribing to, and that was that um, in a condition where there was a lack of sensory input for the brain, that the brain would just become unconscious, that you'd essentially slip into something that looked a lot like a coma. And so he set out to uh, create an environment where he could test this theory. And uh, that's basically how he came up with the idea of the flotation tank. It it saw several different iterations in far, as far as its physical design was concerned. But uh, ultimately, the concept stayed pretty much the same from its inception until what we know today as the modern float tank. Wow. So, Kevin, for the uh, listener who doesn't really know what, it, what floating is, could you just give us like a, a brief overview? Sure. The, the flotation tank is a light-proof and soundproof chamber. They, they come in various sizes and shapes, um, but uh, for the purpose of this description, just, con- just consider a, a chamber, a small room, um, big enough that you can comfortably get your body inside of it and lay down. And inside the flotation tank, we put about 10 to 12 inches of water. And in that water, we'll dissolve right around 1,000 pounds, depending on how many gallons of water are in there, between 800 and 1,200 pounds of Epsom salt or magnesium sulfate. And this is, this is what gives you the buoyancy. And then uh, once, once you're in the tank and you've got the door closed, that blocks out the light and the sound. So essentially, we get into an environment, no light, no sound, no gravity, and then we keep the water temperature at a very specific 93.5 degrees. Uh, that is what we consider skin receptor neutral. In other words, it's a temperature that your body doesn't register the solution as being hot or cold. 
and you'll float in there for at least 60 minutes, and there really is no maximum. I mean, uh, two or three hours is not uncommon for people to float. Uh, lots of us like to do really long marathon overnight floats, things like that. It just kind of depends on what you're looking for from the tank. Yeah. Wow. I think I think the aspect of using a float tank or a sensory deprivation tank can be such a powerful tool for absolutely everyone. But I think for many people, people don't fully understand the deeper benefits and even the different senses of reality that can be achieved using these simple tools. Why do you think people need to start using a float tank, Kevin? Well, when we talk about flotation tanks, we kind of put the benefits into four broad categories. So the first one is just um, simple stress reduction and relaxation. That's, that's kind of the first group of benefits. The second one has to do with physical healing and rejuvenation. Um, when you put yourself in a um, parasympathetic response, which is what happens in the, in the flotation tank, the body is just better at, at healing and rejuvenating, repairing uh, damage from injuries, surgeries, hard physical workouts, athletic competition, things like that. The third category is um, it has to do with cognitive function and creativity, just how the brain is working, uh, how efficiently and effectively you're taking in and processing new information, things like that. And then the fourth category, which I think is the one that you're kind of alluding to, is um, the benefits of putting your brain into altered states of consciousness. Mm-hmm. So uh, we... Uh, at Zero Gravity Institute, we're doing a lot of work with, you know, kind of all four of those categories. Um, I, I, I'm kind of sensing that maybe you want to jump into the fourth one a little bit, the altered states of consciousness. Yeah, a bit later on in the podcast, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> but, but to be honest, like Kevin, they all have such a great meaning to it. Like if it was just the altered consciousness, like, like we could just build a podcast around that. But it's because it's such, such a broad spectrum that's where we need a touch. We just want to get the whole understanding of how it stress reduces and how it has this physical rejuvenation and improves our cognitive cognitive uh, theory and and our all the states of consciousness is just the pure icing on the cake. Yeah, <laughs> that's how I look at it too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think a big thing is like it for me, Kevin. It it filters out all the junk and we are constantly in this environment where there's a lot of sensory input. And these floor tanks allow us to shut everything down and just explore our minds. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I was just reading an article recently that um, uh, about the amount of sensory stimulation that we're experiencing. And mm-hmm. right now there's an estimate that we're at any given moment of our day, we're dealing with about 400 million bits of information coming in. And, that number just it seemed overwhelming when I when I read it. It seemed like it couldn't be possible. But then I started really thinking about it. And when you think about temperature, air movement, light, shadows, colors, um, sounds that are in your in your uh, surroundings, um, uh, the feeling of gravity affecting your body. When you really take a snapshot of what a, a, a any given moment of the day looks like you realize that we're just really being inundated with with uh, sensory input and information then you add to it all the technology that we embrace you know the computers and the smartphones and gps and text messages and uh emails and and all of that television surround sound 
um, it's it you can really see how how uh, the world can be a bit overwhelming on our senses. Mm-hmm. And if you think about it, we've been anatomically modern human beings now for about two hundred thousand years. So we're we're basically throwing this body and nervous system and brain into an environment that it hasn't really evolved uh, to handle. Earlier in human evolution, you know, we spent a great deal of our time just sitting on the edge of a grassland, you know, waiting for food to walk by. The, The majority of our time was spent in a relaxed meditative state and there were brief moments of uh, the fight or flight um, reaction happening. Now it's kind of the other way. Now, now we're in the fight or flight mode pretty much all the time. Yeah. And the moments of uh, parasympathetic response, the parasympathetic mode is uh, rarer and rarer in our lives. And so the flotation tanks are a very easy and efficient tool for cutting off all of that sensory input. When we put mm-hmm. you in a flotation tank, we're, we're actually taking about 90% of the workload off of your brain and your central nervous system the minute your float starts. So that, that's a lot of heavy lifting being done just in the first few moments of, of a float session. Mm. So Kevin, something I've, I've realized is that um, after doing a bit of research, like we're still like a primitive ape sort of here and we're still going through this transition of like when our bodies are stable and in this static static response like just be we um when we hear something like a noise or something our minds immediately get alert to a situation right which is which is great when you see a flotation tank where it's just isolated everything in its all purest form we adjust us in the water yeah i mean it's it's something that we need to do for ourselves it's really mm-hmm. it's really healthy for our body mm-hmm. we go through a lot of physiological and chemical changes when we're in the float tank mm-hmm. Kevin I think as well the, the concept of just allowing yourself to be weightless in the dark it creates and allows you like the access, access these deeper levels of consciousness yes mm-hmm. and something that, that comes to mind with me is someone who's been kept in say like captivity or something like that and or maybe even a hostage they've like been deprived of light and sound and interaction with like people yes and they've been kept in the dark room and after nearly five years a scenario that i can think of is a hostage called terry Wade, and he said that his consciousness took over him and kept him active and that was actually the thing that kept him alive mm. and that's really fascinating to me it's like the similar stories as well um in the survivors of auschwitz all come out and say like similar things like when I'm in there, my mind sort of takes control of itself. Because mm-hmm. if you process all the data, like you started earlier, if we process all the data of what was going on in the Holocaust, you could easily just lose your mind completely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Whereas you need to like go out of your own mind, sort yeah. of thing. That's like the response that keeps you alive and keeps you going. Mm. Yeah, they say about 500 hours of um, of isolation is enough where you're where your consciousness starts to expand and sort of you become more um, related more to your consciousness than you are to your physical body. Yeah, definitely. Kevin, I think as well, a big thing for me is the no sound aspect. Yeah. Um, and no distractions from any eternal factors because it just allows your body to completely pause. And for me, that's where the best altered state of consciousness is actually tapped into. 
in husband where you've got no distractions and nothing else to in your path if you know what I mean right yeah when we get ourselves in the when we get in the flotation tank mm-hmm. um, what what's happening tech on a technical level is your brain waves are slowing down mm-hmm. and the the um, the the wave, the brain wave that we're most interested in in the flotation tank is called a theta wave. This is about uh, five to seven cycles per second of brain wave activity. This is a pretty elusive state because most of the time we transition in and out of the theta state as we're either falling asleep or waking up. Mm-hmm. We don't often stay right there in that theta theta state. It's a very visual state. It's the one that it's the uh, brain waves that our, our brain is producing when we're dreaming. And so this, uh, in, in the flotation tank, it's relatively easy to, um, by cutting off sensory input, allows our brain to relax a little bit, to mm-hmm. slow down and start creating those theta waves. This is uh, a lot of people describe different visualizations that happen in the tank. And it's usually because the brain's producing a theta wave. Mm-hmm. This this is an opportunity for our um, brain and our nervous system to reallocate resources and do some of the background work that it's not ordinarily able to do because it's so busy dealing with all the sensory input. It's a very fragile state. It's hard to sustain it. But as our float practice matures and we get better at doing it, we get better at staying in that theta state for longer periods of time. And this is a this is a great mental state to be in to access those those um, altered states of consciousness that we're now finding are so beneficial to us. Wow, Kevin, just to go a few more steps back, though, how did you actually get into floating? Uh, me personally? Yeah. Uh, so I actually started floating about thirty years ago. I did my first float in 1986. Um, after I finished. Um, Going to college, I moved out to Los Angeles, California to pursue uh, some career goals. And uh, I, by chance, came across an article about this flotation sensor that had opened. And uh, I was intrigued by the idea, and I, I went in and floated. And my first experience was really amazing, was profound. And when I got out of the tank, I, I really had a hard time <laughs> believing that I was feeling the way I was just because of something as deceptively simple as floating in a dark box full of salt water. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but, I, but I really felt focused and centered and sharper, more creative, just more on my game than I had ever really felt. And so I made another appointment a couple of days later to go back in and try it again. And on that visit, I was lucky enough to meet one of the owners of the float center. And when he found out that I was new to, to town, he offered me a job. Wow, what a job. Yeah, which I <laughs> gladly accepted. And, um, and I, I really got into floating. Um, I went after it pretty crazy. I mean, I, I floated, uh, you know, probably 300, 350 times in the first couple of years that I worked there. <laughs> Oh. I did uh, overnight floats. I experimented with a lot of things in, in the flotation tank and really just found out what a profound effect it, it could have on a person in terms of their performance, their uh, mental acuity, just uh, creativity. Just it, it all really, really appealed to me. And and so I, I've maintained some kind of floating practice for the entire time. Mm-hmm. And uh, about two and a half years ago, 
I opened a flotation center in Austin, Texas called Zero Gravity Institute. And I started uh, to manufacture very large, luxury scale, technologically advanced uh, flotation rooms. And so at this point, pretty much my entire life is focused on floating. <laughs> mm -hmm. That's great. See, Kevin, one of my first experiences with float tank, I felt like I was leaving one dimension of reality and entering a new one. And when you come when you come out, everything seems much brighter. And it's interesting to me because it's the same that happens to me when I have a good meditation practice. Yes. Like when I come out, I feel in a way that you enter a new world. But maybe it's just about a reboot or rebooting your consciousness. But to me, it just feels like that. And it feels as well like maybe when you, you know when you're driving a car and someone crashes into you and everything slows down and for weeks later you're sort of like more alert and you're aware of every situation that's going to occur and you may be looking at the world in a different way as well. Yeah. And maybe it's just something like that as well. Mm. Yeah. I, I mean, that's, that's a very good observation. I mean, the way I kind of look at that is that if you think about the brain mm -hmm. like a receiver and it's receiving all of the sensory information that's coming, we, we can't possibly handle everything that's coming in. So in reality, the brain is like a filtering mechanism. It filters out the yeah. unimportant sensory input and focuses just on the stuff that's important to our immediate survival. Mm -hmm. It's the thing that keeps us from stepping out into traffic. It's the thing that tells us whose mouth to put the food in when we're out to dinner. Um, you know, it's, uh, it's all about helping us survive. Yeah. When we get in the sensory deprivation environment, the filtering mechanisms of the brain start to turn themselves down to allow more sensory input to come in since it's not getting any. Mm -hmm. And that's basically what you're experiencing when you get out of the tank. The input level uh, has been, the, the filtering level, rather, has been turned down. Uh, yeah. The input sensitivity has been turned up. And so we experience the new world in, in, a, in a way that's like fresher, light is brighter, more colorful, sounds are more rich and beautiful, food tastes better, sex feels better, yeah. just sort of reattenuates our whole system. Mm. Yeah, definitely. I couldn't agree more with that, Kevin. But Kevin, something that I hear a lot, and I think a lot of people are thinking is, what do like, what do they do for 60 minutes in total darkness and silence? What, what would you say to these people? Well, what I recommend for people is to adopt a position that I call the neutral observer. Uh -huh. And um, whenever I talk about floating, I, it's a practice, and I, and I like to talk about it in those terms. It's, it's a practice just like meditation, yoga, yeah. working out at the gym. You know, we, we, we don't go to the gym one time. And, yeah, you've got to give it time. And uh, yeah, we don't go to the gym one time and like suddenly we're in shape and we can just go take on the world. You know, it's a process. Yeah. Just like with your meditation and yoga practice. So this is how I look at floating. And over time, if you can develop the skill of being the neutral observer, what will happen is your uh, floating experiences become richer and richer. And what I mean by the neutral observer is that you let the experiences, let the thoughts come into your head, observe them, but don't really engage with them. Don't push them away if they're unpleasant and don't grab onto them because 
you know, they're good things. Just, just be neutral. Watch it all go by like a movie. You'll remember the stuff that's important to remember. But if you don't engage with it, you don't judge it, you'll be able to just kind of witness what your, what your brain and your subconscious mind are laying out there for you to deal with. Mm. I, think it's, uh, I think it's just a... Uh, just like meditation, it's, it's like the concept of time disappears, yeah. and you have no real. And time is of the essence, and you, and time is important, but in that moment, it's not. And that's what that's so what's unique about it. Yeah, you know, people go into the float tank with a lot of expectations because of uh, just you know they do research on YouTube and watch people's videos about it and stuff. And and what we need to realize is like these are the big, profound, sensational experiences that people take the time to make a video and post it online. Mm-hmm. The average experience is, is, is much uh, less dynamic, much less um, impacting. Any, we, we, we can experience a lot of really great stuff in the tank, and any mm-hmm. one moment in there may be more or less profound. What we're really looking for is the cumulative effects of the practice of floating, of doing floating on a regular basis and being mm-hmm. consistent with it and then seeing how it changes our life and our perceptions and our, uh, the way that we function in relationships and the way that we function in our businesses and the, the way that we take care of our bodies and our minds. These mm-hmm. are all benefits of, of the cumulative effects, floating on a regular and consistent basis. And so what I would say for people that are just getting into it would be to um, limit your expectations. It's not a carnival ride. It's not a light show. It's not a fireworks display. Yeah. We have to be ready to accept the subtle experiences and the subtle changes that come over us from doing this practice. Mm. That's, that's a really good way of uh, interpreting it, to be honest, for a beginner who's just about to get into this whole process. It's a really good way out for them to for them to realize. After we practice for a while and we get a mature practice developed, then incredible and sensational and dynamic things can happen in the flotation tank. I mean, mm. I, I just got out of the tank about uh, an hour ago, and and my my float was beautiful. I was out of my body, astrally projecting for pretty much wow. the entire float, um, really um, reconnecting with spirit. Um, dealing with myself as a higher vibrational being. Wow. Mm. But I have hundreds and hundreds of floats. <laughs> yeah. So it's hard to expect these kind of profound dynamic experiences out of out of your first couple of floats. Oh yeah, it's like your mind's adapted to the whole scenario of being engaved in that engraved in that darkness and you you know how to respond to it. Yeah. Which a lot of people won't do at the beginning. Yeah, for a but, lot of people when they're doing their first float just the novelty of being in the flotation tank for the first time can keep their brain active and distracted for maybe 30 to 40 minutes of their first float. Mm, yeah. they, they may not actually slip into the parasympathetic mode until maybe the last 15 or 20 minutes. Yeah, it mm. takes time to slip into that mode, doesn't it? Yeah, and then what, once you're better at it, once you practice it, you know, now I, I get in the float tank and, you know, I, I'm, I'm in that parasympathetic mode within just, you know, two minutes or less. I, wow. just, I go into it immediately because I'm so comfortable in that environment. Well, I think something I think something that I've noticed is like when you're in this moment, our minds must form this psychedelic experience when we're in the flotation tank. 
because our minds are always looking for patterns. Yes. And we're always looking for these patterns. So when we're in this moment, our minds must use like the rhythmic patterns of the water because they haven't got any visual visual aspects. And this will lead you to the therapeutic level of relaxation. So to try and focus on the water and the rhythmic pattern of the water is what I believe will help you reach that level. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And I think there's other things that you can do, like focusing on your breathing, keep, mm. keeping your breathing even and consistent and calm. You're going to hear your heartbeat in the tank. Sometimes you can hear the blood uh, pulsing through the veins behind your ears and things like that, you know. Yeah. And, and your body, your brain will start to key in on how your body feels. You'll feel places where you have tension and things like that. But with a good practice, you, you learn to like really move into deep, deep states of relaxation and, and the meditative states and the states of altered consciousness that, that correspond to these deeper states of relaxation. It can be a fascinating journey through your own brain and your own mind. If you allow it. Yeah, yeah. Some people are a little afraid to do that. Some people are not comfortable to spend that kind of deep time with themselves. But again, with a good practice, um, you, you can definitely train yourself to, to engage in that part more. Mm-hmm. See, Kevin, I've actually only started floating, and I cannot wait to explore it more. But something I've thought about is how I personally haven't tested like any psychedelics, and I've only just started using flotation tanks. Mm-hmm. I mean, like over the last year, I've like really started to explore like, the practice of meditation. Yeah. But however, even up to this point, it's very interesting to me that that I've reached this and achieved this sort of level of consciousness. Mm. And my view on this may be that there's already like a program written that's like feeding information to us in the name of this bigger purpose that we don't only uh, fully understand yet. Yes. Yeah, I, I, um, I, I know where you're heading with that. I mean, with modern the modern world, the way it is, the way it's, it's just so overwhelming sometimes, mm-hmm. it, it's very easy for us to lose our connection to spirit. Mm-hmm. And it's having that connection with spirit is an important component of having a, a healthy, well-rounded life. Mm-hmm. And people find that in many different ways. Like you, you mentioned psychedelics, um, meditation, flotation. These are all powerful medicines that help us reconnect to spirit and, and be better, more well-rounded people. So I'm proud of you that you've started this practice of floating and meditation because I, I know how much benefit it'll bring your life if you, if you stay with it. Mm-hmm, definitely. Um, Kevin, something I've just thought of there actually is um, something that I heard a few days ago that there's actually bacteria and organisms inside our body. Mm-hmm. And these bacteria have their own consciousness mm-hmm. and have the capability to make own conscious choice. And I think that's crazy. But I've been thinking, imagine the case, so, which I believe as well, is that these, conv- uh, these bacteria, organisms, whatever you want to call them, are actually telling us what to eat and what to do. And maybe one day I was thinking that they'll take over our like human shell, or even the probably already have, in my opinion, as well. <laughs> yeah, but it's interesting. That's an interesting idea. So, Kevin, when you're in these, when you're in your flotation tank, do you ever get like mental blocks where you can feel consciousness? You know it's there, but you can't go any further. Do you ever feel like there's, some, there's a block in your head stopping you from thinking further or past it? Yeah, I think that's actually pretty common. I mean, it, it would be great to think that every time we get in the flotation tank that we could have this mind-expanding, consciousness-raising kind of experience. But 
it's really not a practical expectation to have. So, sometimes our lives are so overwhelming. We, we get stressed out or we have a problem with our business that we have to sort out. And I, I think that I think a tank is a really good tool for doing that just mm-hmm. kind of basic nuts and bolts kind of work on ourselves as well. It doesn't mm-hmm. always have to be a transcendent spiritual kind of experience. Some, sometimes just sorting through our daily lives is uh, a good thing to do and just kind of cleaning house a little bit. Mm-hmm. I, I look at floating a lot like uh, defragmenting a hard drive. We, we have all these ideas and thoughts and memories and emotional responses and um, uh, commitments and obligations. They're just kind of spread randomly through our brain. And sometimes a couple of hours in the float tank just helps to sort all that out, just get organized and file stuff and, you know, get, get stuff uh, compartmentalized and categorized so that, so that we can be cognitively more efficient. Yeah, I think that's where you go back to the full broad category where you can just go back to the original source of stress reduction. Right. And then, then you just physically rejuvenate yourself and you start to feel better in yourself and you go, yeah, I'm, I'm starting to feel this cognitive response again. I'm starting to become who I am. And, this, and you don't even need to reach that psychedelic state, but you just feel the benefits of even, like even after 350 floats in your first year, I bet you didn't reach the... Um, all level of consciousness in every one of them, did you, Kevin? Yeah, not at all. I mean, so, some of my floats are just very practical, pragmatic approaches to just uh, straight straightening out things in my brain. Mm-hmm. I mean, we, we, we have a lot of, there's a lot of incredible physiology that happens when, when you're in the tank. I mean, our endocrine system reacts to it, responds to it, and starts creating endorphins. This is one of the reasons that you can spend so much time in the tank because you just physically feel good. You feel very euphoric as those endorphins move through our system. We also know that in the tank we're creating extra neurotransmitters. And there are some really big, important ones like dopamine and serotonin and melatonin. So these are, these are um, affecting your mood, the, your diet, your, um, your sleeping patterns. And then we also, your overall health. I'm sorry. Yeah, your overall health, really, isn't it, Kevin? You're, Absolutely. You're yeah, proper neurotransmitter levels are, you know, one of the key elements to to being healthy and and functional. So, we know that we're getting these benefits from the tank. Uh, when you when you put your body in zero gravity, your vascular system opens up, so you get lower blood pressure. You get a slower heart rate because you're um, you're not have your heart's not having to push blood against gravity. That, that extra circulation aids in healing as, as uh, fresh blood cells move around the body and, and go to places where physical healing is needed. So even if you're not entering some mystical, euphoric state of consciousness, you're still getting a lot of physical and psychological benefits from just being in the tank. Mm-hmm. It's, never, it's never a waste of time. Even if you have an active mind and can't can't get past the you know day-to-day stuff you're still benefiting incredibly just by putting yourself in this specific environment mm-hmm. kevin before when uh, chris mentioned about mental blocks i want to say something actually because there's a lot of times for me when i'm having like a deep conversation with my friends mm-hmm. and it's all always get a time in the conversation when i'm talking and your mind puts up like a force field yeah and it's and it's like something that you're aware of but like you're trying to tap into it and it's like in like deeper realms, but you know, obviously consciousness puts up a force field. It's interesting to me. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, so you're saying that like you're in in conversations like that you want to go deeper into the conversation, yeah. but yeah. So like when I'm having a conversation with one of my friends, yeah, it's sort of your mind puts up like a force field and stops you from like delving too deep into yeah. in like stuff. If you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Mm. It's really interesting. Yeah, like, you know I have that problem a lot, guys, because uh, yeah. I spend so much time in the flotation tank and and you know working through experiments with with consciousness and different states of of uh, being that a lot of times I, my conversations want to run a little deeper with people. Yeah, people aren't always that able to accept it, and I uh-huh. I think we kind of inherently know it, and that's where that block that you're talking about, that force field, is like yeah. not not wanting to push people too far and get too esoteric with people and. Yeah, I've, I have the same kind of experiences sometimes. Mm-hmm. See, I always feel that my mind mind always just puts up this mental block. And I feel that, like, maybe it's all part of the bigger picture and, like, consciousness is, like, sort of leaking into our minds. But in a way, it's, like, we're only allowed to be fed so much at a certain time. Yeah. That's what I feel sometimes. I think as well it goes down to the questions you ask yourself and the questions mm-hmm. you want to understand. And I think this is where the tank comes in handy because that is where you become the the question. Sorry, you become the question. You become the answers to your own questions where you ask. You find them. Yeah, because there's nothing there to like Mm -hmm. talk back to. You're not talking to anyone else. You're just Mm -hmm. talking to yourself in your own mind. Yeah, something I would like to mention as well, I think as well, that when you start mixing with different people who are on your level of consciousness, that also unlocks the next level of consciousness. Yeah, absolutely. That's what I feel. But Kevin, have you um have you heard of the study, the um, the holographic universe? Uh no, I haven't. What's that about? Have you not? I just came across it a couple of days ago, and they were like observing the brain and trying to determine where consciousness was actually coming from. Oh, okay. And I know it's weird, and they carried out tests, um, which were very complicated. But the basic gist of it, the certain part of the study that they actually figured out. That was when they were measuring consciousness. It was actually known that it was being watched. Ah, the observer effect comes into play. Yeah, it's amazing. Hmm. Yeah. Well, what do you think about that? What do you? How do you guys feel about the origins of consciousness? Do you think it's something that we're generating in our brains, or do you think it's something that's happening outside and we're receiving it? See, I think I think there's loads of possibilities, and I think if you think you know the answer, you don't know the answer. <laughs> but, however, one of my theories is that maybe it's been leaked from somewhere else. Yeah, that's what I think. But it's it's so fascinating the top topic. It's just amazing. I think many cultures of all all over the globe, from the ancient Mayans to the Greeks, they've all tried to understand this type of question of mm-hmm. what makes us who we are. Mm-hmm. So we're not all lions. We're not all the same. We are all different, 100%. And that is what's unique about us. We are so different to anything else that's been put on this planet. Mm-hmm. Why? And our consciousness, we try to think of these processes like what makes us, but yet we're so far with our technological advances, we still haven't worked out the primitive origins of who we are. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's the baffling thing, like sort of the things I think Dan's trying to question What's, what was going on in his mind where you get so far into the question then something will pop up and say this is too hard this is too complicated it's a yeah. touchy subject and yeah. let's 
let's go back to something more easier. Like, when are we next getting fed? Let's go back to your, prim- <laughs> let's go back to your primitive origins. When are you next going to get sleep? And then it's like, oh, what was the question again? What was the question I was trying to answer? But that's what I'm trying to think of the, um, yeah, of was, like, right. the origins. But Kevin, something as well I can think of when you were saying about the, obviously, where the origins of consciousness comes from. Something I keep thinking of is where is animals, animals are sort of like, are just doing what they're meant to be doing. Yeah. But as humans, we're sort of like rogue and we're like thinking out the box and like our consciousness that we're getting fed is like more than what other species are getting, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. That's what I feel in the way. Yeah, and I, and I still think it's a situation of, uh, you know, we're an animal doing what we're supposed to be doing. I yeah. mean, I think this, this is what human beings do best is evolve, make our situations better. You know, we're, we're never content with, things the way they are. We're always trying to make make life better, become more efficient. And um I think it's I think it's an interesting idea that uh you know with all the technology that we have and all the capabilities that we have to, you know, do a, a an ECG on the brain or uh, you know, st- studying different sections of the brain as they're being st- as it's being stimulated in different ways. All this technology that allows us to research. There's also, um, you know, plant technology is something that I've been interested in for a long time. You know, and for yeah. for um, you know eons, time immeasurable, human beings have been delving into their consciousness with the power of these plant medicines and with things like meditation and things like sensory deprivation. I mean, we, we know that human beings have gone into the darkness of caves for our entire uh, existence. Mm-hmm. There's obviously something that, that uh, happens to us when we, we put ourselves in into sensory deprivation. And so I think some of these more organic and natural forms of exploration are, are still very important to us when we, are asking questions about consciousness. Yeah, definitely. Kevin, something I actually wanted to ask you was, I know that you've obviously got a lot of access to to deprivation tanks, but I was wondering, what's your longest float that you've ever done? Uh, my longest float was nine hours. Wow. Yeah. I, I try to... Um, I My average floats are usually about two, between two and three hours is really good for me. Uh, I, I can get a lot of work done in, in that amount of time. Um, and then I try to once or twice or maybe three times a year, I try to do a longer float. So I, I try to get more into the six to eight hour range. Wow. Yeah. Kevin, what what did you get out of this eight, nine hour float? Did you really explore who you are and your consciousness? Did you? Uh, I, you know, I, I've done it several times and they're all different. Um, at this point I've got like well over 500 floats and, and what I've learned from that is to, um, not have an expectation about what my next float will be like. I, I trust my practice and I trust that what's important will come to the surface and be revealed to me during, during my floats. So I can tell you the last long, uh, overnight float that I had was um, very much uh, spent in altered states of consciousness. I spent a lot of time out of my body. Um, I have 
several, um, for lack of a better word, I have different locations that I can go to uh, just energetically, different realities that have different sets of physical laws that, that dictate that reality. Mm-hmm. Um, those it's a little hard to put into language and explain, but yeah, it is. They they have different rules about how you move in that reality, how light functions in that reality, how sound functions in that reality, and uh, it's. I just do a lot of um, uh, investigating and exploring those kind of realms. I, I'm I'm. Uh, I'm an insatiable explorer in my physical life and also in my spiritual life. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, for me, it's just like a, a, a fun exploration of, of different kind of uh, realms, different realities. Mm-hmm. Kevin, how, how, would you, how would you describe the, the ninth hour of, your, of that float? Uh, you know, time in those long floats is a very strange beast to tame. <laughs> so sometimes you feel like you've been in there for days and days, and then other times huge chunks of time can go by, hours can go by, mm-hmm. and uh, you're, you're not even aware of the passage of time. Wow. Um, as you finish up a, an eight- or nine-hour float, um, the it takes a little while to sort of reel yourself back into reality. You've spent so much time in these non-ordinary states that um, it's, it can be a little hard to identify which, which reality is the physical reality that you need to get back to, to um, take control of your body and, and start functioning on channel normal. Mm-hmm. It's um, physically, it's challenging to uh, even stand up after a nine hour float or an eight hour float because yeah. the Epsom salt is a muscle relaxer. And so you, you, you get to the point where your, your body's so relaxed that it's, it, it takes a minute to kind of get your land legs underneath you. It's a little hard to bear your own weight when you first stand up, you can be a little wobbly and disoriented, but uh, it, it comes back pretty fast. We, we, we know how to inhabit these physical bodies and it comes back to you pretty quick. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Kevin, Kevin, something you mentioned before where you touched on it was uh, the experiments you've done in the tank. Mm-hmm. Uh, do these involve psychedelics? Yeah, I've done a, I've done a lot of um, experiments with different psychedelics in the tank, and um, they're very interesting. Um, uh, I would preface this by saying that over time – the experimentation with psychedelics in the tank has led me to believe that the best floats are ones that you are um, completely natural, that you're not adding any compounds to it. The, um, the idea the, and the realization that we can get into these incredible altered states of consciousness by just using our own minds and, our, and, and the flotation tank, that mm-hmm. pure experience is what, I've really come to appreciate. Yeah. That being said, um, I've tried several really powerful psychedelics on many occasions in the tank. And, and basically what I found out was that um, under uh, a normal, what we would call a normal dose. So let, let's take psilocybin, for example, the uh, active in, 
uh, ingredient for magic mushrooms. Mm-hmm. If you take um, one or two dried grams of mushrooms and sit down in your living room with some friends, you're going to have a pretty powerful psychedelic experience from that. If you took that same one or two grams of mushrooms in the flotation tank, it would, it's considerably less of an experience, believe it or not. Um, oh. those, it takes sensory input to kind of make that psychedelic experience happen. That's why when you're uh, under the influence of those compounds, light, sound, conversation, food, being out in nature, these all have uh, very profound effects on you, and it's um, uh, affected by those compounds, right? We have these psychedelic experiences. When you're in the mm-hmm. tank, there's you feel the euphoria that happens from those compounds, but because of the lack of sensory input, they don't affect you the same way that you might expect them to. Mm-hmm. And that's true until you get into some really large doses, you know, four, four or five grams of mushrooms. Then, then the experience changes and becomes pretty intense and pretty overwhelming and pretty hard to manage. Yeah, the tongue starts talking to you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> sure. And uh, same, same way with other uh, psychedelic compounds, you know, we pretty much found that to be true of, of most things. So I, as I said, you know, I'm kind of, um, you know, I, I'm definitely a supporter of psychedelic medicines. Um, I, I still work with plant medicines on a regular basis and, and I appreciate them, um, and, and honor them. But, um, I, I really am an advocate for keeping your medicines separate. I believe that you yeah. shouldn't mix your medicines until you've mastered them. And I, mm-hmm. I don't know if I'll ever ma- really master them. So. Yeah, I'm a little more cautious about that now. Mm, yeah, like we had a holistic um, uh, doctor on before on our previous podcast, mm-hmm. and she really dove into the power of holistic medicine and uh, healing our own bodies through natural medicines and psychedelics. It was it was very interesting. But I think as well, though, Kevin, is that psychedelics can be a good bridge to show you where you're going, but you shouldn't become reliant on them. Just like it is with anything, really, if you take something for too long and you you become abused to it, you abuse the situation. And I think it can create this different bridge to this different states of consciousness. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I agree with you. Um, I think that the psychedelics can be very powerful learning tool. Uh, I just came last week from my first experience with ayahuasca. I did three three ayahuasca ceremonies last week, uh, which I was very grateful and um, grateful for and thankful for. And, mm-hmm. and I definitely received a lot of beautiful visions and teachings that came along with those visions. I also see that um, we're looking for the empty cup. Like how do you experience those same kinds of transcendent states of consciousness yeah without introducing those compounds into your body. Mm-hmm. Can we learn enough with by experiencing them a few times, can we learn enough to put ourselves into those same states of consciousness and those healing modes uh, w- without introducing the compounds? Mm-hmm. And I think the tank is one of the best ways to do that. It definitely lets you tap into those higher levels of consciousness, those higher vibrational states, without introducing any compounds into the body. Mm-hmm. 
See, Kevin, I know of ayahuasca and other shamanic uh, ceremonies. You're like you're in, you're encouraged to um, to set intentions. Yes. And have you have you ever ex- experienced like with fasting and maybe having sex? I don't mean like having sex in the tank. Mm-hmm. It's not for <laughs> that. But I mean, have you like tried not having sex like prior to a float? After a float. Uh, sure. You know, I mean, that's that's an important energetic lesson for all of us to learn. Um, as we were preparing and dieting for the ayahuasca, um, my wife and I went on a very strict diet with our food what mm-hmm. we're taking into our body. Uh, we, we refrained from sex for like three weeks before, mm-hmm. before ceremony started so that we could, um, both store our energy and have, have more personal energy for entering ceremony but also to ensure that our energies were were not mixing as we entered ceremony so that we could be in our own energetic spaces to receive the healing of the medicine without it being confused between our two energies. And in fact, in ceremony, the shamans made us stay on different sides of the room. I I was about as far away from my wife during ceremony as I could be and still be in the Maloka. Kevin, have you ever um, transcended that over to the to the tongue. Um, yeah, I mean, we, we definitely do strong intentional practices when we're working with the tank Uh because we have access to them all the time. We, we get to float kind of in a different way than the general public, the general public who's having to, to pay for access to the tank. Yeah. Um, they might approach it differently. We're Mm -hmm. always doing research and experimentation. So we, we've, we've done things where we've been sexually abstinent, in order to um, determine if if that energy reserve is helping us in the tank, and it and it definitely does. Um, we have strong meditation practices and things that we do before going into the tank in order to set yeah. intention and try to accomplish specific goals in the in the float tank. I mean, that's one of the 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 float tank is is such a flexible tool for us. You know, there's no rules about it one of the things that attracts me most to floating is that it's very it's dogma free yeah there's no right way or wrong way to float any advice that i give it's just advice a person can use a float tank however they want to use it Uh and uh, so i think if you're a person that you know is good at setting intention and good at problem solving that the tank is going to be just another tool that you use to accomplish those goals Kevin, do you think it's best to go into the tank with an intention of, of what you want, or is it best to just have this unknown approach and just let your mind drift into the area? Good question. I I I think it depends on what you want from it. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's definitely times um, because I run a, a couple of businesses. Um, you know, that's always something that's um, prominent in my mind is the health and vitality of, of my businesses and, and the people that we employ and things like that. So there's definitely times when I'll set an intention and go into the tank and try to figure out um, methods and ways to ways to run my businesses better so that everybody can benefit from it. I'm also a, a musician and a songwriter, so there's times when I go into the tank specifically trying to create music and write lyrics and things like that. Mm-hmm. And then there's other times when I'm, you know, specifically going for uh, 
you know, like today, specifically, I was I was practicing astral projection. It's been something I've been working on for a while, and and I went into the tank with that intention. Mm-hmm. So it, it's a very powerful tool for realizing those things, but it's also just a great place to go in with no intention and no expectation and just be open to exploring whatever your mind presents to you. Mm-hmm. Kevin, is there any other experiments that you've done in the tank? Any what? Any other experiments? Other experiments? Yeah. Um, I've probably touched on kind of most of them. I mean, we've done some um, interesting things where we've put two people in two separate tanks and then tried to see if they could psychically contact each other wow. during floating. Um, wow. That has yielded some some kind of interesting experiences, no, nothing that we're ready to quantify and put down in writing, but um, it's definitely been pretty revealing. I've done a lot of uh, memory recall experiments in the tank to see how far back in my life I could retrieve memory. Uh, wow. My my goal was to see if I could remember being in the womb, um, which I've never been able to access that in the float mm-hmm. tank. But uh, I'll tell you a, a beautiful memory that I was able to retrieve, One a memory that I really cherish now, mm-hmm. is um, I had the memory of being a, an infant and lying on my mom's stomach wow. and feeling her breath raising and lowering my body with the rhythm of her breath. And I actually physically felt that in the tank. I felt wow. very small. I felt my mother as this omnipotent presence, pretty much the only thing in the universe that I really understood. I felt her as the creator. And um, that experience brought me really close to my mother to 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 remember that and and it was uh very very much as if i was there in that moment and reliving that experience well kevin that is amazing kevin i, I think as well we believe that we cannot remember all these memories that we've ever had yes however i really feel that all these memories that we've ever had are always still there somewhere in this field of energy and it's just like the internet as well when you post something on the internet and it might get lost but it's always still there I agree with that 100%. There have been so many times in the flotation tank when I have just had a random memory of something that happened in my life, something that just the event came and went, and I never thought about it again. Literally, I've not ever thought about it once in my life, and then suddenly there that memory is in the flotation tank as clear and vivid as if that had just happened to me yesterday. Mm-hmm. Wow. And I think this is a, one of the most therapeutic parts of the flotation tank. We we all collect trauma, memories of trauma, and a lot of times our brain hides them away so that we don't have to deal with them and experience them. And it's those hidden traumas, those deep-seated memories of things from our past that sometimes cause us aggravation and stress in our lives and anxiety, things like that, that we don't even know what's generating it. It's, it's really PTSD, right? Yeah. It's, it's uh, post-traumatic stress. And, and a lot of times in the tank, the brain will free up one of these repressed memories and allow you the 
the ability to deal with it in this safe and comfortable space. And we come out of it feeling better about ourselves and less anxious because we've clarified this this uh, moment of trauma. We've dealt with it and we filed it away in a, in a good, safe place. And we no longer have that as underlying stress and anxiety in our lives. Wow. Oh, it's like, that's incredible. It's like when you're in this moment, like this is what I believe anyway, Kevin, that's, I believe that you see your deepest fears. Mm-hmm. And even more important than that, I think you find a solution for them. Yeah. Yeah. And it's and, and it, it doesn't always have to be about fear and trauma and things like that. A lot of times in the tank, we're um, made aware that we have things in our life to be grateful for, yeah. thankful for, you know, and a lot of times I will see an image of my wife or a friend who I dearly love and and the sense of gratitude and appreciation that comes flooding over me the realization that I need to tell this person more often what they mean to me and, the, and yeah. the role they play in my life and how appreciative I am to have them in my life. This makes us have better relationships and just happier, easier lives, mm-hmm. you know, and this is uh, one of the, just the greatest things that the float tank can offer us is the, uh, the time and the space to go through and sort out all this unfinished business that we have in our going on in our brains and our subconscious and and really learn how to be better people by using this tool so kevin we touched on memories there but i want to delve a bit even deeper Mm -hmm. what are some of the more deeper experiences you've ever had in the tank i have uh i've had a lot of floats you know so that that's that's a kind of a big question Mm. um i find um for for me personally, and you know, so ev- for everyone, it's going to be a little different. Um, mm-hmm. I find these explorations of alternate realities uh, to be very fulfilling for me and very beneficial for me. Mm-hmm. Um, the realization that I am not just a physical body, that I am a higher vibrational being, that I am a representation of source, of the universal love and joy that's out there, Wow! that I'm not just bound by the meat body and the feelings that the meat body gives me. That's only one part of reality. Mm-hmm. Um, I have uh, experienced the presence of other intelligences wow. in the tank other uh, intelligent entities. Um, so it makes me believe that there's a whole other energetic structure going on in the universe. Yeah. That the earth energy structure is one very limited aspect of what the big picture is actually like. Mm-hmm. And I appreciate the way that the tank and some of the plant medicines have exposed me to other types of energy structures that exist in the in the universe. Mm-hmm. Kevin, what is it, the intelligence? Do you think it is? Do you think is it a being or is it a sort of energy? Um, I I believe that it is a an an actual entity. 
Wow. Whether or not whether or not they also embody physical forms outside of my contact with them is kind of speculation on my part. I have some ideas about it, mm-hmm. but um, I believe that other types of beings are also exploring the universe and exploring realms of consciousness and realms of realities. Yeah. And I think that when we spend enough time doing our own exploration, it's only a matter of time before we bump into a fellow explorer. Yeah, I like that. And and that's that's uh one kind of of contact that that I've had in the tank. And then of course because I've um, recently been working with ayahuasca, I've had a couple of contacts with the spirit of ayahuasca, Pachumama, uh, wow. the Mother Earth. I've had a couple of contacts now with her in, in the flotation tank just because of my recent work there. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. I also That's... met a um, – while doing another form of, of dimethyltryptamine, um, I was introduced to um, an entity um, that I have been able to um, – locate and meet up with very reliably while in the flotation tank. There's a very specific place that I go to mm-hmm. and she is very much, um, I'm very, uh, it's very easy for me to contact this particular entity when I'm in that specific space. Mm-hmm. So I, I think there's a lot possible by doing this kind of work as esoteric as it seems and sounds, uh-huh. I still think there's a lot of important work to be done there as well. Mm-hmm. Kevin, what sort of information do you feel that this intelligence has given you? And like, what lessons of wisdom do you think the intelligence is trying to tell you? The, um, the primary thing that we're working on together right now has to do with um, identifying and understanding the specific kind of energy structure that exists on planet Earth. Well, wow. to the understanding that um, we are, let's see, for maybe the best way to explain it would be that the earth energy structure is like a food chain, that mm-hmm. there is consumption and renewal going on all the time. Yeah. We all, um, we all live we breathe, we consume, we die, and then we regenerate. Mm-hmm. And so we've been doing a lot of work together in terms of just understanding the finer points of this energy system. I believe the goal is to, well, let me back up and say that when I'm with this particular entity who definitely mm-hmm. serves as a type of teacher for me that um, I have a much fuller and more complete understanding when I'm with her. As I come back to normal consciousness, I lose a lot of that understanding. It's like I feel like I used to know how to do brain surgery, (laughs) (laughs) but as soon as I get home, I I forget 99% of what I knew about it. Yeah. That that kind of feeling often is accompanying this experience. But um, with more time spent with her and a deeper exploration, I, I get a little better understanding each time. 
And I feel like once I understand more completely what the earth energy structure is all about, that hopefully she will start introducing me to other energy structures that exist in the universe and, and maybe how these other systems interact with the, with the system that we're in right now. Mm-hmm. Oh, I, Kevin, I, I sort of sorry. see our, our time together is spent kind of on the border between two different realities. There's my reality and there's her reality. And the place that we meet and navigate and learn from each other is on the borderland of those two realities, where those two realities are very close to each other. Yeah. I I think as well, when we try to explain these different realms of energy and consciousness, it's really hard to project the full essence of what we are truly feeling deep within. Yes, very much. (laughs) And when we do describe them, there's certainly no right or wrong way to explain them. But I think that comes back to the sort of mental blocks that we're talking about earlier, to be honest. We're, we're so bound by language. You know, that it's, that's the hardest part of, of describing and, uh, these, these experiences and, and sharing the teachings that come from them are the limitations of our own language. Sometimes mm-hmm. there's just not quite the right word to describe what your experience was. And, and so when we put it into conversation, it's, it kind of diminishes it in a way. I, I wish so many times there was a way for me to just take this knowledge and experience and teaching out of my head and just put it directly into your head so that we wouldn't have the hurdles and stumblings of trying to language it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, you know, this is our challenge, too, to connect with each other as human beings on a level where we can have these kind of conversations and we can understand each other when we're, when we're in these uh, expressing these deeper ideas and concepts. Mm. Like, Kevin, when you communicate, is it via thought? Uh, in terms of communicating with the entities in the tanks? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah. It's very much like entire thoughts being placed into my head. And then I'm mm-hmm. placing entire thoughts into their head. We're not really using words and language as we know it. It's more of um, uh, here's a big picture and you just get it placed into your head. And, yeah. and so you understand it in, in those ways. And that's why it's hard to bring all of it back. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The understanding can be so complete when you're in this different reality, this different state of consciousness. But once once it has to survive the filtering mechanisms of the human brain, then it's less complete. Mm-hmm. Kevin, I think as well, when these areas come up, it's going to blow people's minds and they may not fully understand it. Yeah. I think a lot of the time people say it's down to like imagination or even a chemical response. Mm-hmm. But for me, it's certainly deeper than that. Mm. You know, I, I'm okay with it being imagination and chemical response. I, I'm, I'm as open to that idea as I am to the idea that it's actual intellectual uh, intelligent entities. Uh-huh. I, I'm, I'm open to both because for me, it's about the understanding and the, the lesson, the teaching that's happening, the healing that's happening. If, if I experience it and I gain something from it, it, it really doesn't, in the end, it doesn't matter whether it was a real thing or it was just a product of my imagination. Yeah. I still benefit from the teaching. I benefit from the understanding. I benefit from the healing. And, and mm-hmm. ultimately, that's what's important. 
Mm. I think as well, there's like so many levels to this mm-hmm. and our minds can't fully comprehend it. And I always feel that in essence, it's to everyone's like can feel this longness to ask themselves questions like, what is my purpose and where am I going? Yeah. And I just feel that when you do, I think when you, when you ask yourself and try and find this purpose, you've just got to chase it. And I, I see it like a maze where you unlock one level, then you get a level two. But whatever it is, it's amazing and you've just got to, you, you just can never get there. But I think you've just got to have fun and just explore it. I, I agree. All of this work that we do, it's, it's a practice. It's not a destination. There's, yeah. there's no finish line per se. Uh, mm-hmm. Even after death, I, I don't think we're finished. I think our consciousness goes on to the next level, to the next set of lessons and understandings, you know. And so I, I think, you know, as modern Westerners, we're, we're very much into the idea of like accomplishing something, crossing the finish line, getting the prize. Here's the payout, you know. But I think when it comes to matters of the spirit, I think that's a that's an improper way to 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 view it. I think mm-hmm. the process of our practices and the little steps that we make, the subtle changes that come over us. That that's the whole purpose of doing it. Mm-hmm. Like like what I believe, Kevin, is that I believe that we only look within ourselves in what better way than to immerse yourself in this different world. Yeah. And then this this new world was created in your mind and in your imagination will show you your identity. You're going beyond the primal you, which focuses on sleep and eating, and then you're getting beyond that and you're getting immersed in it even further with who you are. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I, I couldn't agree more. I think that's very well put. Mm-hmm. Thank you. See, Kevin, the thing as well I can think of as well, that we might be fully unaware of these conscious possibilities, but however I feel that like the fact that we're on this planet already is a conscious possibility, and the fact that people are listening to this podcast is also a conscious possibility. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's amazing. Yeah, I, I love that. I mean, I definitely have come back... Um, from many of my explorations with the understanding that taking a human form, putting this consciousness into this human vessel is, mm-hmm. is actually a very important step to take that it's um, something that we do voluntarily. It's a necessary part of our spiritual evolution. And um, it's not something that I think we enter into lightly as spiritual beings when we make the decision to become human, to embody a human form. I think it's just, I think it's a very serious decision that we make and, and we make it because we feel like we're ready to do it. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of us get surprised once we get here at how hard it is to actually navigate and survive in this reality with this human form. And so some people maybe are not as successful at navigating it their first couple times around. Yeah, but I think that you know it's something that we have to do in order to um, to continue to evolve spiritually. We have we have to do this energy structure at least once. Mm-hmm. You know. I, th- I I think Kevin that each of us look to create this own identity, and where this is where I believe is a little bit of a problem because we are not an identity. We we spend our lives creating an identity. We're creating our we're creating our name. Which, what's a name really? Because it's nothing. We we came into this world with nothing, and we're just part of the universe, and we're just part of this energy system. 
and then eventually we just get replaced into this another realm of energy and someone else takes this energy and all it is is we're just a compulsion list of energy going to expand and expanding yes so so we're trying to find our identity is where the problem is i think but yet it's also where the beauty is because you find out you're not an identity you're just a part of this universe just like everyone else is and we're all in this together and that's the beauty of it and i believe yeah absolutely i i think there's a um an element to our our spiritual evolution where as as we uh embody physical form in these different energy structures like the energy structure of earth the goal is to try to collect our consciousness and hold it together even after we die or when we leave the physical body how much of our consciousness are we able to hold together as we return to source as we return to the the great well of of consciousness do we hold some identity together or do we just fall into that source like a drop of water into the ocean and we just become diluted into it and and have no identity left or or do we use these experiences to hold some of our consciousness together so that as we remanifest in other forms during our evolutionary process we still do have some sense of who we are mm-hmm. i think that's the beauty of it kevin that we don't know the answer yeah and and even when you explore the tank and you could explore it a thousand more times you may never know but that's the beauty of it is because you want to know and you're trying to find this answer and it's beautiful it's a beautiful beautiful moment which you have with yourself yeah and with us too as well mm-hmm. the tank is definitely for exploration explorers mm-hmm. are drawn to this technology um, and and I love that. I love seeing what people are finding when they're doing these personal uh, journeys and personal explorations. It's really a beautiful part of being in this whole uh, movement that's happening now. Mm-hmm. Kevin, just last week, um, I was meditating in the woods, and I was sitting underneath a tree, and I started like gazing up through the tree branches. And just something that came to my mind was that everyone is always searching for this amazing thing within themselves whether it's through meditation or psychedelics, whatever it'll be. But when I was really focusing on the tree branches and watching the leaves blow and the sound of the wind and the sound of the birds as well, I started thinking how that we see all these three-dimensional objects and it's just so unreal. And I think we're living in this for 16 hours a day and we can already fully control it. And I just feel it's something that people don't stop for a second and think, wow, we're like in the moment now and just living it. Mm. Yeah, that's nice. It's important to get out into nature. Some somehow, the spirit of nature really does speak to us if we quiet our brains and listen to it. There's always a lesson there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I'm curious about um, how how often are you guys floating now? I mean, you've both you've both done it, right? I've, I've done it, but Chris hasn't. Okay, I'm booked. I'm booked in uh, next week to try my first one. Mm-hmm. I've I've only I've only done it twice. Oh, great. Okay. Mm-hmm. But that's why it was interesting for me because when I said prior before about how I've already achieved attained these levels of consciousness, and that's what I was saying before, it sort of goes back to the to the program that we're being feeding. But as well, like Kevin, it's like um, just because I haven't floated, uh, I still I'm a very spiritual minded person. Like I meditate four times a day, oh, and wow. 
yeah, I, tr I try to really enhance my own meditation after every experience. And like I've, ha I've had some really deep um, meditative experiences and that's how I feel like I can relate to a lot of what you're seeing yeah. and a, a lot of what the sensory tank can actually mm -hmm. accomplish. And that's, yeah. I'm hoping that the two are intertwined and I see the similarities between them. Yeah, That's what I'm hoping for. Well, I'm inspired by both of you because I have a, um, I have a terribly hard time meditating. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's hard for me to uh, to set aside the time to do it, mm -hmm. and um, for me, the the tank has been such a constant in my life that um, I really it, it's my primary practice. It's it's mm -hmm. I feel like my time in the tank is my meditation time. Yeah, well, it is. It is really. Yeah, and um, one of my goals is to uh, is to enrich my and enrich my meditation practice and start doing it on a more regular basis. Because after a while, I, I start to feel lazy because it's, yeah. it's so easy to do it in the tank that I, I'm like, well, why should I do all this huffing and puffing <laughs> outside the tank? I yeah. just go get in the tank and and uh, enjoy these meditative states, but I am starting to appreciate the importance of developing a good meditation practice. So I'm, I'm impressed with you guys that you're, they're so good at it. and so diligent. Mm -hmm. There's a, a lot of practice and a lot of persistence as well, because a lot of thoughts do enter your mind in the process. But just like you said earlier, you, when you focus on your breathing, you sort of like sense a new reality sort of kick in and, and then start things seeing a different perspective because your mind does go back into this periodic state of rest, just like sleeping. Mm. But um, but you're aware that you're awake and that you know you're focusing on your breathing. But yet your mind transitions into this whole different, different, not to say a body, but I'm going to say a whole different view of things, to be honest. And that's the beauty of meditation because you can find the state of rest. You can find the state of peace in your mind. And that is the true meaning of meditation in my eyes. Yeah, absolutely. One one of the teachings that was made um, clear and poignant to me last week was the idea that the universe has an infinite amount of love and joy and bliss that it makes available to me and you and everyone. The downfall is that we have a hard time accepting it. And I think when we enter into these different states of consciousness, we, we open ourselves to the possibility of receiving some of this love and joy. And it really does take a lot of the aches and anxieties out of our lives. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I, I really appreciated your, the, visual of you like sitting under the trees and and looking up through the branches and stuff it's so important to like put ourselves into that restful peaceful state of mind every once in a while otherwise yeah. we're gonna go crazy yeah definitely thank you kevin i think as well all these different tools are just absolutely brilliant and i think they really do help people find the path and unlock the consciousness in a weary reboot but i want to ask you let's say in, in 20 years everyone is like floating what do you think the world looks like <laughs> I love that question. <laughs> you know, um, when I started floating 30 years ago, mm -hmm. I really believed that within the next 10 or so years, that that every every house would have a flotation in it, that it would be as ubiquitous as a hot tub or something. You know, yeah. uh, 
because I saw the profound changes that were happening in the people around me that were using the, the flotation tank. And so I, I had some pretty uh, high expectations, some lofty ideas about what would happen. It was pretty disappointing when it didn't happen. Uh, it's been really cool now to see this recent revival that's happened. So many yeah. people are finding out about floating right now. They're implementing it in their lives. We're seeing the beautiful changes that come over people when they use this practice and, and develop this practice. So if if it really does happen where it, it uh, maintains this momentum and the growth that we're seeing and we're, we see a lot more people using it, I, I see people being more compassionate, more understanding, more open-minded, more intellectual, healthier, more vibrant. Uh, I see creativity um, exploding because of it. I think we'll have amazing music and poetry and dance and visual arts that, that come from it. Um, I, I think I would just see a large scale version of what I see now from the people that are using it. And I think that's going to make a far, far better world for all of us to live in. Mm -hmm. See, Kevin, I think as well, that's the bigger purpose of consciousness is just to heal the planet. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. And do you feel it now that like there seems to be this awakening that's happening pretty much oh, all yeah. over the planet? Like people are starting to think more about consciousness, think mm -hmm. more about spirituality, adopt practices that used to that used to be looked at as foolish and hooey. <laughs> and now all of a sudden yeah. we're realizing that like meditation helps business people and athletes and stay at home moms and people that are trying to heal from diseases. Uh, we just see this openness and this new acceptance of some of these ideas. Yeah, I think I think the um, I think we're all going back to the rebirth. To be honest, where we're actually seeing things from the beginning again, thanks to the internet, of course, and the exploration of this new wave of information. We're actually we're seeing it and we're understanding it and we're taking it on board and, and we're feeding through all the crap. Yeah, and we're starting to see what's really affecting people and how we're really getting healthy and how we're really opening up our own consciousness to this sort of thinking. And that's the truth, and that's the beauty of the internet. What we've got right now. Yeah, it's amazing, isn't it? Guys like you, who have cool podcasts, and they can get into these kind of conversations and o open them up and send it out to the world and expose yeah, people definitely. to ideas that they may not have thought of or heard of before. And that just keeps happening over and over every day. It's you know, it's opening people's minds, it's opening their hearts, it's opening their spirits, and we, we can't help but be in the process of making a better place. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Kevin, you've left us on such a powerful note there. That the last thing I've got to ask you is, so on that note, where can people find you and what are you currently working on? Uh, so the easiest way to find us is uh, our website is zerogravityinstitute.com. And... Um, you can get a hold of me. There's contact form on that website if somebody wants to talk to me personally or um, uh, you know have a phone call or email conversation. I'm I'm always open to talking with people about this kind of thing, and um, we will continue at Zero Gravity Institute to delve deeper into a lot of these questions and 
we'll keep doing our research and our experimentation and um, keep looking for answers to these deeper kind of questions. Mm -hmm. Well, Kevin, thank you. Honestly, that was amazing. And just thank you so much for being on our podcast. Thank you for having me. I really, really appreciate this opportunity to meet you guys and talk to you guys and put some words out into the universe for your listeners. Yeah, that's amazing. You certainly have, Kevin. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. I would just like to see at the end of this podcast, Kevin actually mentioned this earlier on in the podcast, but Kevin and his wife are amazing musicians. So to end this podcast, I'm going to close this podcast out with one of Kevin's songs. And his band is called Big Circle TX, and his song is called The First Skin. So hopefully you will enjoy.
taking time out to listen head over to beastified.com for other previous episodes and while you're at it tell a friend about the podcast let's keep pushing forward as human beings and together we can improve this experience and enjoy this journey